For the last uh, four weeks, we've been looking at the book of Amos, and today we finish it, uh, and we finish with good news. <laughs> Muna, this is the day you've been waiting for. Good news. When our children were little, um, for many, many years, we would go on holiday um, uh, to France or to Italy because one of our children was particularly carsick and couldn't make it to Swinton without throwing up. We drove to Italy. We thought it might build resilience in her. And it would take three days to drive to holiday. And on the third day, which sounds almost biblical, but on the third day of this mega 1,200-mile journey, the children would, as they got dressed that morning, they would put on their swimsuits under their clothes because they knew that within hours there would be a pool. They knew that after many years, at uh, many years, it felt like years actually, to be honest. It really, uh, let me, if you've ever had children in the car, it really did feel like years. But after many days, many hours of driving with them, they knew that this was the day they would arrive and they would plunge in that pool. They knew it was coming and they, they were dressed for it. And as we got closer to the campsite, they started to peel off ready. So when the door opened, out they flew into the pool. And because we were bad parents and because by then we didn't really care, we just let them <laughs> and thought if they drowned, it'll be, there's more space in the car going home. <laughs> they knew it was coming. They knew the day, they knew the hour would come and they were ready. We've been looking at Amos the prophet. Amos, as all the prophets did, essentially did two things. They were constantly looking back. And they looked back to the covenant. What does it mean to be the people of God? And they kept looking back and saying, your problem today is you're not what you were designed to be. And then they would look to the future. Prophets always did that thing of looking back and saying, this is what you were designed to be. And this is what you will be. And Amos's anger that we've heard about over the last three or four weeks was because actually the country had become complacent. They'd stopped caring about the poor. And essentially what had happened is they'd given up on their identity. They'd stopped being the people that they were designed to be. And because God couldn't get their attention, Amos's message was really clear. The Lord roars. The Lord roars for the migrant, for the asylum seeker, for the poor, for the marginalized. The Lord roars and says, if you treat people like that, you've stopped being the people of God. It's not just in the sort of 7th and 8th century before Jesus that that's true. And it's easier to see it in other people. But you know what? It's not that many years ago when people like Aman and Jonas and DeWitt would have come to church, to a church like ours, and they would have been told, I think you would fit into a church elsewhere more easily. 
Because we're a white church. That Windrush generation that came across. I know people from that generation. And certainly I know a lot of their children. Because now their children are the same age as me. And they tell the story of going to church. And being told, it's lovely to see you. But for your own sake, you probably don't fit here. It's easy to see it in others and go, actually, at that point, the church forgets what it's supposed to be. It forgets what it's supposed to be. The Lord roars against complacency. The Lord roars against injustice. The Lord roars when we put people down because of the color of their skin. The Lord roars when we put people down because educationally they're not as clever as we are. The Lord roars because socially they don't fit our class. The Lord roars because we treat poor people differently than we treat rich people. Because at that point, you're no longer being what you're supposed to be. You are designed for something better. And Amos told the country this and said, if you don't, you'll lose what you've got. And that's where we left it last week. You'll lose what you've got. And they did. They were taken to exile, lost the country, lost the land. But what does God do? Well, I think pretty much, this is a fairly safe statement to make, pretty much all of the prophets never end just with despair. They always say, God will restore God is in the restoration business. God is in the restoration business even when you brought the disaster on yourself. That's the thing about God's restoration. Even when you've got yourself into a mess, God restores. Let's read together. If you've got a Bible or can look over someone's shoulder or whatever. Amos chapter 9, and it's the last few verses, 11 onwards. In that day... I will restore David's fallen shelter. I'll repair its broken walls and restore its ruins. And I'll rebuild it as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord, who will do these things. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when the reaper will be overtaken by the one who plows and the planter by the one treading grapes. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. And I'll bring my people back from exile. They will rebuild the ruined cities and live in them. They will plant vineyards and drink their wine. They'll make gardens and eat their fruit. I'll plant Israel in their own land, never again to be uprooted from the land I've given them, says the Lord your God. What is God wanting to do for them? Well, the first thing is in verse 11 and 12, Amos says, I'm going to restore, I'm going to rebuild and he uses the language of, I'll restore David's fallen shelter. That's King David. And the fallen shelter was like a tent. It's the, the idea that David had this tent. But, of course, you read the story of David. He said, no, he didn't have a tent. He had a, he had a temple. <laughs> he had a strong nation. He was like, you know, he had plans for a temple. He had a big, sort of like, big kingdom. And God says, when I restore things, I'm going to rebuild what just looks so flimsy. I'll repair broken walls. I'll restore ruins. I'll rebuild. And it will include other nations. What's the second thing 
Verse 13, the days are coming when the reaper will be overtaken by the one who plows. So the idea is that the person who's getting the harvest in can't get it in quick enough because there's so much of it that the plowing time's beginning. Or that the planter is overtaken by the one treading grapes. In other words, there's so much harvest of grapes, you can't get it all in. New wine. Listen to the imagery. New wine will drip from the mountains and flow from all the hills. What a brilliant image of abundance. And I'll bring my people back. I'm going to do something, Jesus, uh, the Lord says, which will be about days of abundance. And the third, the days of security. Verse 13. Oh, sorry, verse uh, 14. They'll rebuild the ruined cities. They'll live in them. They'll plant vineyards. They'll drink their wine. They'll make gardens. They'll eat their fruit. I'll plant Israel in their own land. And again, never again to be uprooted from the land I've given them. I'm going to build you. And you will be secure. When we were praying for Aman this morning and Jonas and DeWitt, they would know that sort of hope. They would know that sort of hope. When you've been homeless, when you've been stateless, when you've been driven out of your own place, and you go, God, can you rebuild anything here? God, are we always going to be in need? God, can we ever be secure? If you want to know how it feels, talk to guys like that, because they'll tell you how emotionally engaged that feels. They know what it feels like. So what did God do? This was a prophecy. This is what would happen in that day. Well, what did God do? Well, the days of rebuilding... You have Jesus come. Whenever Jesus is doing the work of bringing the message of God, what's the message? There's a new kingdom. There's a new kingdom. Building something new. It's going to be different. The earth's better, but it's what you've always wanted. Jesus is the king of the new kingdom. Jesus is the one through whom God is reclaiming a world that's gone wrong. Jesus says, I'm going to bring that future into the present. I'm going to bring that future into the present. I want you to try something for me, if you will. Uh, you might need to nudge the person next to you if they've fallen asleep already. Um, but I want you to go and I want you to find someone who is obviously not like you. Now, in the building, I'm not talking about going down to Manchester. Um, <laughs> Someone, go and find someone who's obviously not like you and sit with them. Just sit back down again. Don't, you can introduce yourself if you wish, but just someone who is not like you, not like you. Just move and sit with them. If, so if you're a female of a certain age, sitting with a female of a certain age, they are like you. <laughs> All right? Go and find someone who is obviously not like you. That's very good. That's not good enough. (laughs) 
okay? Now, there's some of you that are not moving very far. You've, you've done it? Okay, that's fine, that's fine, that's fine. That's okay. Okay. I want you to, um, I want you to say, I am what you are. Tell them what you are. I mean, careful. Tell them what you are. And, then, and, and how you're different than the person you're sitting with. My name's Frank, and I'm a fatty. <laughs> That's fine. My name's Frank, I'm a fatty, and he's sitting with Faye, who <laughs> runs around in the shower to get wet. I think I should just take offence and walk out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Faye and I'm a woman. Okay. I'm Faye and I'm a woman. Thank you. Uh, Andrew. Uh, I'm Andrew and I don't like doing any housework. <laughs> okay, who are you sitting with at this point? <laughs> Alex. Just introduce yourself. How are you different than Andrew? Um, lots of ways, I don't know. Just one, just one. Female. Female? That's fine. Okay. Let's go. <laughs> Susie, who have you got? Um, I'm with a man. I'm female and white. And white. Okay. Kate, introduce yourself and say how you're different than Pearl. No, me and Pearl look alike. <laughs> <laughs> Lady. Kate, I don't want to... I don't know how to break this to you. In a lineup, we would not mistake you for each other. Yes. No, no, we wouldn't, Kate, honestly. Can someone save up and buy Kate a mirror? Um, Shirley. I'm Shirley. I'm a tiny white person. And I'm a wife and a mother. And you're with? And I'm with Neffy. Who is? A friend. <laughs> Fallon, go. You are? I'm Fallon. And, and you are different than Mary because? I'm at university. You're at university. <laughs> <laughs> that's, Stupid girl. That'll do, that'll do absolutely fine. Chris. You're Chris and you are different than? Um, Debs, because I, I'm a male in my 30s. Okay. Debbie. How are you different? Um, I have hair. <laughs> I have a friend who, when there are moments where you get a glimpse of something that says, this is how it's always supposed to be, says, this is a it's a little piece of heaven. It's a little bit of heaven. When Jesus comes and says, I want to build a new kingdom, what he does is he does this. And he goes, it doesn't matter about your color anymore. So he has Jewish leaders like Nicodemus in the kingdom and Roman centurions who are Greek 
in the kingdom. He has um, Syrophoenician women who are really sick and they're invited into the kingdom. And Jewish zealots who want to do a revolution, they're in the kingdom. He does it so there are poor folks and people who've been on the outside, they're in the kingdom. And prostitutes, and they're in the kingdom. And tax collectors in the kingdom. And the kingdom's supposed to be like this. This is what it's supposed to look like. In that day, I'll rebuild something. And this is what it'll look like. In that day, there'll be days of abundance. And Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and you might have it to the full. And to demonstrate that, he brings people back to life. To demonstrate that, he feeds 5,000 people. To demonstrate that, he provides everything that's been robbed. To demonstrate that, he says, when you pray, pray. Give us today our daily bread because Jesus wants you to know the days come when you're no longer living where there isn't enough. Everybody says there's not enough now. We've been warned again this week. There's not enough. And the people of the kingdom says, actually, there is enough. There is enough, actually. Because when there's not enough, we've got stories to tell in here. And they're only small stories. They're only personal stories. They're only anecdotal stories. But we've got stories to tell when we had nothing and God provided. There's enough. We don't live in a world where everybody's got to scrabble around to get what you can. We live in a world where actually you can be generous because you spend everything on the poor. Seek the kingdom first. Everything else will be given. Days of abundance. Days of security. Well, this is interesting, isn't it? Because what Jesus doesn't do, Jesus doesn't actually say, what I'm going to do is set up a new nation. He doesn't actually say, I'm going to start, I'm going to build a new country. He does something much bigger. He says, wherever you go, I'm going to give you peace. I want you to know that your hearts don't need to be troubled. I want you to know that if you've trusted in God the Father, then trust in Jesus. That Jesus is going to be with you. That he will bring all things to a close. So when we look about how to live, at the beginning of the year, we spent, uh, some of us spent quite a bit of time trying to think through, well, you know, and we've not, we're not great at this sort of thing in our church, to be honest, but one of the things we sort of wanted to work through is, well, what are we about? What, you know, what sort of, how would we want to diagnose ourselves? How would we want to describe ourselves? Diagnose? That's probably not the right word. Describe <laughs> ourselves. Although, on the other hand, um, how would we want to describe ourselves? <laughs> and uh, you can come up with sort of like clever statements about the people you'd want to be. But I think this idea that Jesus comes to rebuild, that Jesus comes for abundance, that Jesus comes for security, wherever we may be, suggests this.
that first thing, we want to be a people of faith. And I know that you know this, but the only way this can happen is through Jesus. The only way our healing can be uh, healed, our brokenness can be healed, is through Jesus. The only way our past can be dealt with is through Jesus. We're people of faith, and because we've learned to trust Jesus, we'll follow him, and we'll follow his ways. We'll be people of hope. Amos, is, Amos and all the other prophets are writing about hope. And what they're saying is this. God's going to renew everything that's broken. It will not always be like it is today. Therefore, I'll never give up. We must never give up. Never give up on each other. Never give up on what you know to be right. Never give up because actually God's going to do it. And there'll be days when you walk through the valley and you think, I wonder if it's all worth it. I want to be a people of hope. A people who've looked into the future and therefore a people of love. A people who know that they've been loved and it has been so undeserved and therefore love can be shared with the friend and the stranger. That's what it means to live in the light of the hope. We're going to be people of faith and hope and love. And I don't know if there's a much better way of saying that's what we want our church to be about. It's what Paul keeps coming back to time and time again. If you read through the New Testament, you'll find it all the time. Those are the three sort of characteristics, those three signifiers of what does it mean to be the people of God. A people of deep faith, of deep hope, and deep love. And we'll walk over broken glass for each other for that to be the case. We're people who can see, because, not because we're clever, but because we've been given it. We've been given the picture of the future, and we're going to pull it towards ourselves. That's why it's not enough to have white churches and black churches, and rich churches and poor churches, and male churches and female churches, and youth church and adult church. Because we've seen the future, and it... It's a little bit like this. It's a little piece of heaven. And we're going to drag it into the, into the present. We're going to live as though the future has a bigger claim on us than the present. Does that make sense? We're going to be like those kids in the car who goes, we're not quite there yet, but I'm going to put my swimming trunks on. Because I know it's coming. I'm going to act as though full confidence that within a few hours we'll be there. I don't know why my wife is laughing at the back row, but she is. <laughs> a famous theologian called David Bowie said, <laughs> it was a strap line of when the Heroes album came out in the 70s. It said, tomorrow belongs to those who can hear it coming. Tomorrow belongs to those who can hear it coming. I can hear it. I've read it. I've got a feeling this is what the future looks like. I do, actually. I think, I think it's what it looks like when actually broken people go, they invited me in. And I was allowed to join. And I was okay. Where people go, 
I was included in and I didn't need to become someone else. Where all of us go and say, the only thing we've really got in common is we know we can't make it on our own. We know we need faith in Jesus. The crucified and resurrected one who enables us to hope and whose spirit enables us to love. And as the church develops, and all over the country as the church develops and grows, we open our eyes and go, you're welcome. Because this is the future, and we're dragging it into the present. May we be those people. May we be those people who've seen the future and go, the present's not good enough. I want to drag it into the future, uh, drag, the, drag the future into the present. I want it to.